Hey, welcome back to A Minor Detail. My name is Ryan Miner. You are listening to A Minor Detail on blogtalkradio.com slash A Minor Detail. You can find us on the web at aminordetail.com. Busy weekend. Not really. Just kidding. I don't know. We went to the pool. Uh, I applied SPF 6000 uh, because um, I think half of my family are the Italians and the other half are the Scottish, the British, the Germans, and we all burn. So I had to apply so much sunscreen. (laughs) It was ridiculous. The kids went off to the beach and here I am. It's Sunday night. I had a lot of opportunity to break out a great book this weekend, read some some stuff while laying out at the pool. And I got to tell you, last night, Kim and I went to the arena stage down in Washington, D.C., and we saw The Originalist, which is a play about the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. And it was honestly the finest play I have seen, maybe in my lifetime. It was about an hour and a half, two hours long, and it was just unbelievably good. The, the talent, the dialogue, and it made me yearn for political discussion. And I was, I was taken aback, and it was really emotional to watch. So I encourage you to see the play, the originalist, down at the arena stage in Washington, D.C., while it's still available. So get your tickets. It's great seating. Anywhere you sit in the theater, you'll be able to get a great seat. But tonight... I have a privilege to have Danielle Gaines of the Frederick News Post. She is the Frederick News Post. She covers politics and government in Frederick County. And according to her bio, she splits her time between Winchester Hall and the State House. And she grew up in Illinois. And now she, uh, she lived in New York and California before settling in the great state, the old line state here in Maryland. So I want to welcome Danielle I'm just going to patch her in. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Um, we yeah, have a lot to talk about. Yeah I, yeah, I think that you're. I think that you're. Um, I, I think you're doing um, such great work at 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 the, at the News Post. And I've had other I've had other journalists on on the show. Um, Brian Sears came on. Great. Great guy. Um, you probably work yes. I with sit next him. to him in Annapolis. <laughs> yes. So he's a talented writer, excellent reporter, um, and he came on and talked about session. I think it was the last week. Um, it might have been the Sunday before Sine die, and he talked a lot about what had happened in good old Annapolis this past session. But you. Um, you, Frederick is is a unique territory, and I say that because yeah. you're you are in not quite the heart of Western Maryland, but you are what 50 miles outside of Washington D.C. And Frederick County seems to have a lot going on these days with its politics, with its new form of government that was <laughs> put into effect. Um, what essentially 2014, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's a big place, and a lot of people are moving into Frederick. There's incredible development, and it's and if anybody has ever been down to, and most of my listeners have, of course, into Frederick City, it really is a extraordinary place, and it reminds me of a a little Georgetown, 
And, and in some ways mm-hmm. it's better. Um, the, <laughs> the parking's easier. Um, and it's a lot of, it's, there's so much great food. There's a lot of things happening. You go down on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in downtown Frederick, and even throughout the week, especially in the summertime, there's going to be people up and down Market Street, and it's mm-hmm. nonstop. But most of all, you are in the mix of the, the politics. You are in the mix of news. And I think that you're, you're, such, an, you're such an excellent writer. And I find that you've always gotten the facts straight. And journalism is, is such an important – it's not only a hobby for me. I mean I don't practice it professionally as you do. Um, and I am a self-taught journalist and blogger. Um, but I, I follow folks like yourself who are in the real big leagues here. And you have a lot of news to cover. So before I want to dive into the newsy part of our show – Tell me a little bit about you, how you got started in journalism, where the passion grew and began, and about your career. Oh, sure. Well, I so I grew up in Illinois, and um, I uh, went to community college and uh, got a very, very small scholarship. And as part of the terms of the scholarship, you had to be involved in an extracurricular activity. So... I found that if I got involved with the school newspaper, I would, which was a, a monthly, um, I would get uh, that extracurricular that I needed, and also I would get one credit towards my degree. So to me, that seemed like the best use of my time and money, um, and that's really where it all started. Um, I went on to four-year school after that, um, worked at a daily newspaper uh, at the University of Illinois, the Daily Illini. It's an amazing newspaper. It's done very well. Um, I rose up through the ranks there, went to grad school, and just kind of uh, set out on a journalism career. Um, I went to California first. That's where my husband's originally from. And uh, then came out to Maryland. He went to law school out here, and I've been in Maryland now um, longer than any other place I've ever lived, uh, except for, you know, my home state. (laughs) What did you do in what did you do as it relates to journalism in the state of California? So I did a lot. I started out actually as um, an education reporter, and I absolutely loved uh, that job. It was amazing. I covered um, some obscene number of school districts because they're uh, formatted a little differently in California. So you have kind of like town school districts um, rather than things that are countywide. The counties are much bigger. Um, so I covered a huge number of school districts and uh, the community colleges and a relatively new um, university at the time, the University of California at Merced. Um, and I had a great time doing that. And just before I left there, really, I became their county government reporter when somebody else left. And then my time kind of came to, to move out east. So you relocated to Maryland, and you did you did you have a job at the News Post before you came to Maryland, or is it because your husband was moving here to attend law school? Um, I I actually I started at the Gazette originally out here in Maryland. Um, I started at the Gazette in Montgomery County. I started on the smallest beat that they had, which was covering Montgomery Village, which is essentially a homeowners association. Um, I learned a lot about public laws in the state of Maryland doing that, um, and then just kind of bumped upwards 
beat-wise, um, did Germantown, then Gaithersburg, and then I ended up in the State House ultimately uh, with the Gazette as well. Um, at the end of the 2012 session is when a position opened up at the Frederick News Post, and I came to the News Post, originally covering courts. Of course, now the Gazette is defunct. Uh, it's no I longer know, it's in existence. it's very sad. It is, yeah. because we used to receive, I live in Montgomery County in North Potomac, so we are right between Gaithersburg and Rockville, um, and, you know, we're, it takes me 15 minutes to get into actually into Potomac proper. So it was disappointing when the Gazette uh, closed up shop. And now that's somewhat replaced by my MC media. And there's some great journalists that work there. Doug Tomlin is one of them. Um, and he, he and I have talked before and uh, mm-hmm. you, you try to fill a void when the Gazette is gone. I mean, what they rely on now for our news here in Montgomery County mostly the regional section of the Washington Post. And, of course, it, it really doesn't do the services that it could, especially with the largest council in the state of Maryland. That is the form of government that we have. Montgomery County is the largest county in the state. We have over a million people here. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. so much news that comes out of Montgomery County that I still believe that has gone unreported. But you have – Television stations, you know, WUSA 9, some of the other local stations that cover some of the big stories in Montgomery County um, with the school system, not so much necessarily with the council, but you also have the MyMC Media that covers the day-to-day stuff, but you don't have a designated newspaper um, that covers specifically Montgomery County, except for the – you have some small newspapers. We have a North Potomac newspaper that just began. And it's mm-hmm. it's inform it's informative. It talks a little bit about what's happening inside of the community, but it doesn't go into depth about what I care most about, and that's the the county news. What's happening at the county council level? What's happening in the several state? Um, they break up our our jurisdictions and districts. I live in District 15 in Montgomery County, mm-hmm. um, but then then again, you also have WHAG TV that. It used to almost exclusively cover Hagerstown news, but it's moved into Frederick. I know they have a satellite office in downtown Frederick, and they've been covering more Montgomery County news as of late. So, yeah, you know. I think I think WHAG actually moved their Frederick office down to Germantown um, oh, to did focus they? more okay. on that kind of I two seventy corridor. Yeah. Well. They've gone. They've undergone some changes, and I think that they lost their call. I don't know if it's they lost their call letters or they 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 switched they lost out their of affiliation with with, with NBC. NBC. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's been yeah a lot of change in local media just in the last few years. I mean, for a little while, I'm sure you're aware the patches were such a big thing in Montgomery yeah. County um, before those faded as well. So now we rely on regional news to cover Montgomery County and of course, occasionally bloggers like myself and um, David Lublin, who does the seven state blog. And there's a few others of us out there, mm-hmm. but there's just so much news to cover. And, you know, we all have full-time jobs and we do this as a hobby and we don't really have any <laughs> financial backing or we don't host ads or, you know, we don't have a salary and this is, 
pure hobby for us, and we do it because we enjoy journalism. We enjoy practicing and writing about what's happening in local politics. But um, mm-hmm. Frederick is is the scene. It really is. It's it's. <laughs> there's a lot, <laughs> and I say that, I, and I mean it because there is so much happening. Um, and well, especially in the last four years with the um, the switch from the, the commissioner form of government to um, I believe is it home rule. Is it charter home rule? Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's charter uh, charter rule. And I remember your predecessor um, was it? Be- it was Bethany Rogers in that position. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think she's now at um, Bethesda Magazine, or when she does Bethesda Beat stuff. She does, yeah. No, oh, yeah. And she had she was, a little she... trip down to Florida, and now she's back. <laughs> yeah. I I see her writing, and I. I um I'd be remiss if I did not mention that Bethesda Beat is another important publication. They do a lot of the county news now, and then of Absolutely. course you have journal. Yeah, they they have some really fantastic journalists. Lou Peck is one of them, and he's been yeah. on the show. And I Andrew Metcalf I haven't met, but uh, I read his his stuff. And uh, overall, um, I think that there I, I think that one of these days there's going to be a remer- a reemergence of a newspaper that is not called the, the the Gazette, but some form of it, I'm hoping, that doesn't just become a weekly Wednesday newspaper, but rather a day-to-day operation. So that would be mm-hmm. – I think it's coming. I just don't know who would be willing to um, to fund it, to you know, to put some serious cash behind it because it would take some serious money. Um, yeah. And there are plenty of journalists living in Montgomery County, though. Oh, sure. <laughs> who I mean, would probably be willing. It's a safe haven for um, for some great journalists to uh, yeah. to join that, and who, whomever decides to underwrite that important function of of government, I am um, I, I'd be interested to talk with them. But anyway, let's talk yeah. about Frederick County yeah. politics. Um, so yeah. let's start. Let's start at what. <laughs> What's your beat lately? What have you been covering? Um, well, it's, so it's very interesting. So I, um, I, I obviously read um, blogs like yours, and you mentioned David Lublin's and uh, so many mm-hmm. others. But my beat is technically, you know, politics and government. So mm-hmm. um, I do cover a lot of government meetings, um, and that that takes up a lot of my time. And you know. I start to get into the politics stuff stuff a little bit later usually, but obviously, as you know, this year politics are really heating up quite early. Um, <laughs> statewide, you know, Democrats have even stated that they are, you know, starting what they normally would do next summer this summer because they feel uh, so strongly about wanting change in 2018. So um, things are certainly uh, getting busy. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and Frederick is, you know, I didn't quite know what I was getting into maybe uh, when I uh, switched beats, <laughs> but uh, Frederick is really, really interesting because I would say that, you know, we are one of the purplest counties in the state of Maryland and, uh, you know, being split between the 6th and the 8th district, there's a lot yeah. of tension there. And with the 6th district, you know, it's one of the most competitive or well, it is the most competitive mm-hmm. district in the state. So there's just a wealth of uh, tension and uh, interesting information on the beat. It, just incidentally, I wanted to mention that Frederick is becoming a, a real hub for uh, young uh, and aspiring 
um, professionals, especially in downtown Frederick. It's a very well-educated area as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Hood College and Frederick Community College, um, as well as my graduate school, Mount St. Mary's, um, all being within Frederick County, um, there's a lot of young professionals moving into downtown. And I think that um, it's, it's techie. Um, I, don't, I hate to use this word, not as a pejorative, but, um, but rather to call it hipsterish. It has turned into that vibe, downtown, uh, mm-hmm. uh, downtown Frederick, a bit. It, at least that's what I've seen. Um, there's a well, lot they of, use the uh, tagline, hip and historic. So I okay. think you're, you're good using hipster. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, and then, of course, like you mentioned, it does. The intersection between the 6th and 8th Congressional District and the lines are drawn so screwy. You could be, you know, when you go up the 270 corridor, up, you go north and south on 270, you're in Congressman Delaney's district, which is the 6th. You get into Frederick City, uh, you're still in the 6th. And then you go up through um, Thurmont, which is really interesting. It, you feel like that should still be part of Western Maryland, but then they split that off mm-hmm. into the 8th district, which is represented by Tacoma Park resident Jamie Raskin. So he goes all the way right. up to to Thurmont. Then he, I think he goes over into Walkersville too, and then he I guess yes, he swings he down through Newmarket. Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually just wrote a story about the um, gerrymandering lawsuit on Friday, so <laughs> I have the map fresh in my head. It's you can kind of think of the county of Frederick almost as a horseshoe around um, the sixth and in a little strip. Uh, along the southern part of the county that's also in the 6th, and then the rest of it is the 8th. So here's another question. If you go up, up I-70 towards Hangerstown, and you, you're you driving through, and then you have the two big towns, the uh, the Battle of the Ems, which is Myersville and Middletown, and, mm-hmm. um, and I have to give a shout-out to my favorite little spot in Middletown. You're probably familiar with it. It's called the Main Cup. It's, like yes. all, it's one of my... <laughs> favorite places to eat lunch and dinner. And if you haven't stopped by, you definitely have to do that. I know that I think even Congressman Raskin recently held a get together there um, for constituents. Yeah, I think so. so yeah. I th- so is, if, if I am correct, Myersville and Middletown, they're both considered in the eighth congressional district. Is that correct? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> so, and then, <laughs> 70, um, going up 70, and then when you get into Washington County, South Mountain, that territory, then it turns back into the 6th. So the district lines are very screwy. That's seemingly intentional, um, but who knows what's going to happen with the redistricting. We could belabor that, but I think I'm I'm exhausted talking about redistricting because I've discussed that so much on this show, and it's just... (laughs) I think I've talked out about that, but I'm more so interested in some some of what's going on on the state side and the county side. So let's go ahead and jump right into the county council um, and the county executive race in 2018. There's a big race um, of who who's going to take on Jan Gardner. And when mm-hmm. Jan ran in 2014, um, she ran against former county commissioner, um, Blaine Young. And, of course, Blaine came up short in that election, and they both spent a lot of money. And I think mm-hmm. she beat 
Blaine by was it was it fifty two forty seven? Is that correct? Um, that I don't recall. I'm sorry. Okay, I I don't want to give fake news tonight. I think it was. So I, <laughs> I think it was in that in that general area. I think it might have been a six point margin. Okay, and then of course, uh, Billy Shreve was elected um, as well as Kirby DeLauder up um, mm-hmm. in in the northern portion of the district. So Kirby DeLauder has opted not to run again for his council seat, but rather he'll be right. running for county executive as well as Regina Williams. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because Regina Williams used to be in a relationship with Blaine Young, who is Regina's running as a Republican. But Danielle, I'm not hearing too much about her campaign yet. Now, I've invited Regina to come on a minor detail for a show. She's agreed. She just hasn't found a good time yet, and I we've corresponded via email. But Regina Williams is the first candidate to officially sign up to run, and, and, and she's and registered. And the only, actually. Yeah, the only Republican that that is right. on that side. And tell us a little bit about Regina and what, she, what you are covering with um, – with that side of the race and some of her intentions for running. Sure. So uh, Regina announced in May that uh, she was intending to run for the seat. She is the former budget officer for the County. um, And I did go to kind of a campaign kickoff event um, for uh, her race up at her family's uh, business up at the J Bar W ranch. And um, she just had together, you know, a a small group of people close to her talking about what's important to her in a campaign, um, having her family around her, um, wanting to set a good example for her daughter. Um, And uh, she really kind of showcased her roots in this, in this first event that was mostly family and friends. Um, she is, you know, gearing up a campaign. Maryland has, you know, a few different um, ways that you can kind of get involved in, in, in the politics of everything. So you can have a campaign finance committee or you can officially file for ballot access um, or to be on the ballot. Um, and so Regina, so far, I believe, even as of today, is the only person who's actually done the filing um, to be on the ballot under the title of county executive for the next campaign. Um, Kirby DeLauder has an open campaign finance account. Jan Gardner kept hers open, um, but neither uh, have, and Kathy Sally also has an open campaign finance account, but none of them have actually filed um, to be on the ballot for a particular race at this point in time. And as you know, with uh, Blaine Young's race back in 2014, you can't switch, at least on the state side, what you are going to eventually file for. So Regina is the former budget officer, and but she doesn't work for the county any longer. Is that correct? Uh, she does not work for the county. There was um, a falling out there. There were some issues um, relating to <laughs> trying to think of how to even sum this up. Um, you know, she worked for the county and uh, a short time after Jan Gardner came into office, her position was changed and um, former uh, county commissioner Blaine Young alleged that her position was changed, that she was put to a lower position as a result of a relationship that the two of them had. Mm-hmm. 
But they're no and, longer and in a relationship. And she's stopped working for the county, and they also are no longer in a relationship. Yes, and we need not rehash the details of that. Right. The she underbelly seemed, of that um, story. At, right. <laughs> at her um, at her first event, you know, she talked strictly about you know her what she felt were her qualifications for the job and what her interest for Frederick County would be. None of this other stuff. But she hasn't really been involved in politics previously like Kirby and Kathy have no. been, right? Right. She She's a newcomer to, to being a political candidate. Okay. And could that help her or hurt her? It is hard to say. Um, certainly her name has been in the news. Um, so she will want to, you know, forge an identity separate from that as part of a campaign. Right. Completely understood considering why she was in the news, but nonetheless, it's, it's refreshing to see new candidates jump in and run for public office, especially female candidates. Um, and right. And, and her campaign signs also, they say, you know, citizen, not politician. So she's not really trying oh. to run with that, um, you know, I know how the government works. Well, she does know how the government works, but she's not really trying to run as a politician. Hmm. Well, politicians seem to fall, fall, have fallen out of flavor and another candidate who doesn't classify himself as a politician is Kirby DeLauder. Some people may accuse him of being a politician, but he is anything reminiscent of a politician in the traditional sense. And Kirby DeLauder is, um, it, you know, he's a polarizing figure in, in Frederick County. Now, I've gotten to know Kirby. I've known Kirby for a few years on the personal side. Mm-hmm. And, and Kirby personally is, I, I, I think he's a really nice guy. And I think that. Um, he sometimes gets a bad rap for saying things that he actually means. And the way that he promulgates that information is not always well received, especially by political opponents. And that's just, that's my interpretation now. Um, you know, there can, there's definitely criticisms to, to go around and Kirby can certainly speak for himself. Um, but he has launched a, a full-on campaign, and while he's mm-hmm. not officially filed, um, it seems to be that he just um, that he is running hard, and he is mm-hmm. looking to to feel to fill that true conservative, um, I guess that that side of the aisle for a Frederick County race, and it seems like local Republicans, while they're not totally decided on a candidate, some of the members of the Republican club and I think the central committee in Frederick County is a, another unique situation, but they might be split. They haven't all committed to Kirby. Um, but it seems like some, some Republican factions are moving towards Kirby DeLauder's candidacy for County executive. What's your take? Sure. I mean, well, in Frederick County, there is, um, I think as in with, most places in the country right now, there's a little bit of a, of a split in the Republican party. Um, and so I see, you know, a lot of information on Facebook being shared about Kirby Lauder and his candidacy, especially by members of the Republican club and the central committee. Um, there's a lot of bleed over between those two groups. Um, and, uh, yeah, he seems to be getting some traction on online. Yeah. And he's recently released a poll that, was mm-hmm. 
scrutinized uh, for the method in which it was conducted, and I covered it on a minor detail. And I strictly covered what Kirby DeLauder's results of his poll claimed to show, and according to DeLauder's poll, it showed that while Kathy Abzali, who, as we mentioned earlier in the show, is considering a bid for this county executive position, she hasn't explicitly said it, but we, mm-hmm. but that's the that's in the rumor mill. I'm sure you've heard right. that as well. Is that true? Oh yeah, she's planning to make a formal announcement. She's, I mean, she has said uh, publicly that she's not seeking re-election to her uh, spot in the House of Delegates, and she said that she's going to make a formal announcement about 2018 in September. Right, and all eyes are looking, all interested parties, and she herself and her team. The, I guess the the rumor is pointing to her explicitly declaring a candidacy for county executive. I mean, otherwise, right. why why would she respond to the Kirby DeLauder's poll in the way right. that she did? So. Right. Kathy, Kathy of Zali and Kirby are going at it based upon this poll that was released this past week. And of course it was filtered to me um, by a, <laughs> a campaign source. And uh, I'm sure it was sent over to uh, the Frederick news post as well. And you covered it. And so let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. What, what's in the poll that, that maybe surprised you Um but is the, I mean, let me ask you this question. Is the poll credible? Was there some, some, some science behind it, or was that just to yeah, – how was it conducted? What was the method in which it, it, it asked folks? It's called, it called a push poll, sure. so it's hard to kind determine of. the validity yeah. of the poll. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, one thing I've learned in a short period of time um, on the politics beat is that when polls are leaked, it's generally because the person who's the subject of them likes the result. (laughs) So that's one thing always to kind of keep in mind. Um, But so there were a few interesting things at play here. So when I spoke to Kirby the water, um, you know, he said that he um, conducted the poll in part because of a poll that had been done um, looking at Kathy Afzali's candidacy. So he saw the numbers in her poll said that he didn't necessarily agree with them and then decided to conduct his own poll. Um, and the way that the poll was done was through a series of questions kind of um, about whether or not voters would prefer uh, Kirby DeWater or Kathy Avzali in the county executive race. And then it went on to ask a few questions um, about Kathy Avzali's record. Um, and around election day, something like this would be known as a push poll because the questions um, gave the person who received them an impression um, about, you know, her politics or her likability or whatever. Um, This early in a campaign, it would be very unusual to do a push poll. So it's kind of um, known more as message testing. So you can see how people answered these questions and see which messages resonate with them Mm -hmm. the most to kind of guide your own campaign. So it was released, and it showed that people knew who Kathy Abzali was, and her name recognition mm-hmm. was apparently stronger, putatively stronger than Kirby DeLauder's. But then once voters, Republican voters, were informed of some of her political positions, her votes, 
they switch their support over to Kirby. So there's really nothing scientific about that. Um, it's just it's basically asking these three questions that um, shows that if you learn this information about Kathy, would you be more inclined to support Kirby? And I think that mm-hmm. – but, but there was some pushback on the DeLauder poll, right? I mean people – Yeah. There was some gripes about Yeah, there about was. It. There was. So um, I talked to a political scientist. Um, I'm, I'm sure you probably started hearing about the poll just as I did. I, I was on a break from the county council meeting, and I started receiving <laughs> phone calls last Tuesday uh, mm-hmm. from people who were receiving the poll. And um, one thing just to point out that um, a political scientist told me about polls like this, message testing polls, is that they can inform a campaign. But one thing that they can't let you know is how well um, – no matter what way they go, um, how well the results would hold up in a real campaign environment. Right. So um, in these questions, you know, they're just asked and people answer them. Um, but then you don't know how, if people would stick to that necessarily um, after hearing that refuted by uh, the other side. But, you know, the questions, um, if you want me to read them, I can read you a couple of them. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Um, I, I'd, okay. I'd like for the listeners who haven't, digested this this now infamous poll um so we can discuss that here so if, yeah go ahead and read some of the, the questions if you could sure. daniel i appreciate that so uh voters were asked whether or not they would be interested in voting for kirby delauder or kathy Abdali, and then those who said kathy Abdali um received the next question which was if you knew that kathy Abdali voted with democrats to protect groups that have known ties to radical islamic terrorism would you change your vote um so that was Jeez. that question and then um, they received two more. If you knew that Kathy Afzali voted with Democrats to pass Martin O'Malley's budget that increased spending by over $1.5 billion, would that change your vote? And if you knew that Kathy Afzali has publicly attacked Sheriff Jenkins, who is leading the fight against illegal immigration and sanctuary policies in Frederick County, would that change your vote? And <laughs> so, well, I mean – well, so you know, for look, various ones, you know, people said yes or no that that would that that would uh, change their vote or it would not change their vote, and it did. Um, you know, obviously in this in this vacuum of a robotic phone call, it did change the numbers um, in terms of where people were leaning. Well, aside from this poll, Danielle, have you seen any other actual uh, polls that would yield similar results or? Has there been any other polls conducted by people who aren't candidates? Um, well, there, I mean, there was a third-party poll that Kathy Abzali, um has referenced, um, which showed that um, she po- she polled better than Kirby DeLauder, um in a county executive race, um, if it were between um, her or Jan Gardner or Kirby DeLauder or Jan Gardner. Um, but that's a third-party poll, and this was a memo that was sent, you know, to her. So, again, all of these things that we're discussing tonight are with the caveat that campaigns and um, friends of campaigns share information that's that's favorable. So. Oh yeah, and w- one of the attacks that came out in the in the mix of Kirby DeLauder's poll is that uh, he hired um, a. Former, well, I guess a, a current Frederick County Politico, Cameron Harris, who used to work for Delegate David Vote. And in full disclosure, uh, I know Cam very well. Cam and I have worked together, um, and we have, 
Kim and I are friends and, um, mm-hmm. you know, he and I know each other and um, he was involved in a bit of a controversy a few months ago when the New York Times reported that he had created a website that um, published news that we now know was fake uh, uh, that may have, yeah, I guess, swung some or, or I guess was infiltrated inside of some of the swing states as we have come to learn and cam went out and did a, a story with the New York times an interview. And, um, but he's gotten a lot of pushback against that. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so essentially what happened last year is a New York times reporter was interested in, in the whole issue of fake news and, you know, whether or not it had any impact on the race and, what was the motivation for individuals who were behind such websites? Um, and he, this reporter from the New York Times, was essentially going through and looking at the various um, certificates that are filed when people registered these domain names. And um, Cameron had done something in the process of registering a domain that made his identity findable by the New York Times reporter. Um, and you know, once consequ- once contacted. Uh, decided to give his side of the story, I guess. Mm-hmm. And At the time, he worked for Delegate David Vote, and he was renting um, space in Delegate Vote's house. Um, so this all came to a head during the General Assembly election and mm-hmm. um, kind of became a, a big story, as you said. Right. It, it, it did become a big story nationally, locally. I mean, if you make it to the New York Times, it's a big story. It's it's mega it's a big deal um and now cam is i don't know if he's being paid by kirby but he certainly is speaking on his behalf which essentially he's working for the campaign and i've seen some pushback on other uh news sites blogs and people who are involved in the political process um they've targeted kirby for his association with cam and you know even a the 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 blog Red Maryland, who is a conservative blog, um, they're they're also targeting Cameron Harris, and they're asking that Kirby DeLauder should um, disassociate himself with him. But you know, you know, Kirby's opinion, from my understanding, is is that of course everybody deserves a second chance, and while he may not agree with what Cam did, he's talented and he knows what he's doing. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, candidate candidates and campaigns can hire whoever they wish. <laughs> yeah. So, um, people in Frederick County have polarized opinions about Kathy Avzali as well, not just Kirby DeLauder. And if you remember the mm-hmm. the famous Frederick News Post uh, sh- showdown between Kirby um, and I believe that was Bethany Rogers who was involved. Was it? No, wait, was it Bethany? The Kirby Law. It was Bethany. Kirby De- yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was her claim to fame. And I think Kirby said something along the lines of, um, don't, w- w- how did it go? Don't print this. Or, you know, if you don't have my permission to print my name or something along those lines that got him in hot water nationally. I mean, it was all over the place. Um, yeah. And that, that was an interesting story. And I think that would likely be brought back up in a county executive race. Now, Kirby's probably going to want to focus on his conservative record. He's going to talk about um, 
what he's done to save the county money, but he seems like he's at odds a lot with Jan Gardner. Is that interpretation correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, County Executive Gardner, since she has taken office, has um, rolled back a number of policies that were started by the former Board of County Commissioners, and um, that leads to some obvious tension uh, between, you know, Councilman DeLauder, who was obviously on that board and would like for those policies to stay in place, and uh, the County Executive. There's also kind of a change in the role in in how much um, can be done at that council level. you know, previously the Board of County Commissioners was administrative and legislative, and they had, a, you know, a lot more influence on the day-to-day workings of Winchester Hall. And under charter rule, that's a lot different. So mm-hmm. um, there's some tensions kind of on multiple levels, I would say, um, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, the old and the new, both in terms of policies and form of government kind of clashing regularly at Winchester Hall. But isn't there a sentiment floating around in county government that Jan Gardner is basically impossible to to beat by a Republican should she decide to run for re-election. I've heard that. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, I, I think that the the memorandum, the polling memorandum that was sent to Kathy Abdali's um, campaign, which again, you know, the third party has chosen not to make themselves known at this point in time, um, but with that poll says is what uh, gets the closest to that. Um, You know, that poll said that if the general election were today uh, and it was between Jan Gardner and Kathy Afzali, who would you vote for? And Jan Gardner came out on top 43.4% to Kathy Afzali's 42.8%. So even in a poll that, um, you know, uh, somebody that a candidate or somebody who's close to that candidate thinks is a good thing um, still indicates that, you know, Jan Gardner is pulling ahead right now. Yeah. And Kathy Avzali's had her fair share of run-ins with Republican politicians as well as Democratic politicians. And Kathy Avzali is no stranger to controversy. There's plenty of on-the-record comments that she has made. And there was this rumor, Danielle, at, at one time that um, – the current um, secretary of um, the Department of Labor Licensing and Regulation, uh, Kelly Scholes, who is a very much beloved figure in Frederick County politics, Republican politics. She crosses the aisle. A lot of people like Kelly that she might come back and run for county executive. Have you heard about that? That that is not uh, one that I've heard so far, actually. But, um, you know, Kelly, obviously, uh, you know, did very well in the last election in which she ran in the county. Um, And, you know, she's been working for Governor Larry Hogan in his cabinet for a number of years now. So um, she would have a resume. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's that's certainly true. And Kelly has a bright future, whatever she decides to do. And I think for her home base is still in Frederick County. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. now she works out of Baltimore City. Um, Yeah. So. That's certainly that's certainly an interesting dynamic. If it would be Kirby, Kelly, Kath, all these K's, right? Um, right. <laughs> and and then Regina. So, um, but it's great to see some female candidates that are stepping up the, to the plate and and, mm-hmm. and taking taking a stand. It's it's good. It's good for our democracy. It's good for Frederick County. It's good for Maryland. 
Um, yeah, so and I think there's... we'll see a lot of other big names dipping their toe in, actually, for uh, county executive or the 6th really? district uh, race, Republican and Democrat. I think there are going to be a okay. lot of people kind of testing waters, running the rumor mill to see where, you know, their support is. Um, the election is so far away. It <laughs> is, the but they're thing. gearing I up keep now. writing in all of my stories. It's so far <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 6th District, since that seems to be a hot topic. The Democratic side, it, well, well, we should start that Congressman John Delaney is supposed to make an announcement, according to his, to my sources, and um, he's supposed to make an announcement later this month to tell everyone yeah. what he's going to do in his future political plans. And Congressman Delaney, he represents most of Frederick County, um, and he is considering, according to sources, to running for governor. He said that. He's made it explicit that he is definitely mm-hmm. considering a gubernatorial run. Um, however, he's made no steps whatsoever to, 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 fall align, to, to fall in line with that path. I've seen no campaign committee drafted. I've seen him talk about pretty much no – Maryland-based issues. I mean, occasionally he takes a swipe at Governor Hogan, and Governor Hogan actually last week hit back against Congressman Delaney. Um, but I haven't seen it. And there's all this. There's also mm-hmm. this other rumor um, that I've discovered when you know one day I was Chris Matthews, and then you hear Chris Matthews. Maybe it was a, a slip of the tongue that Congressman Delaney has a campaign is putting a campaign office in Iowa somewhere. And of course, Congressman Delaney denied that, and his spokesperson, Will McDonald, said, "You know that's not true. Um, that he's definitely not uh, he's not running for president, as some have said he, he is. But he could end up just running for re-election in the sixth, because I see him focusing almost exclusively on these federal issues. So, so he does. He does. Um, obviously, he still has his sixth district. Uh, well, he has a and. National Campaign Committee is still active and still um, accepting donations. Um, and an interesting thing is he really seemed to, um, a year ago, be doing a, a lot on that kind of state front. So um, during the 2016 uh, General Assembly session, there was the billboard that went around state circle with um, – you know, messages about uh, against Larry Hogan, um, asking him to speak out on various things. Um, and that really seemed to be not about the 2016 um, congressional campaign, but more about, uh, you know, running for governor someday. Um, but he is getting out. Um, you know, there was a Democrat, uh, Democrat Party, Democratic Party rally um Geez, I don't know when, probably a couple of months ago at this point. It was after session um, down in front of the state house, and he did go to that, um, and he was one of the main speakers there, and um, he's been kind of making the circuit. I think um, there is a lot of focus on the federal stuff right now. They're going through the budget process. Um, and as far as the whole presidential campaign rumor goes, uh, I think I think Will was circulating uh, his camp, his uh, spokesman was circulating largely the same uh, response to everyone who asked about that, um, yeah. which was that it was not true. 
So well, it is a wait and see game. Um, the two biggest uh, fundraisers so far in the sixth district, uh, Runa Miller and Bill Frick, they're both from um, Montgomery County. Uh, both have indicated that they're kind of waiting to be sure about, you know, whether or not Congressman Delaney steps down uh, before they kind of start full fledged campaigns, but they have been raising a lot of money. They have. And Aruna Miller has uh, raised well over uh, 300,000 in the second quarter. Uh, Bill Frick reportedly um, has raised um, by the, uh, by the reporting of John Fritzy from the Baltimore sun about $213,000. Of course, there's Andrew Duck who is, who has kicked off his campaign. He's the first actual Democrat to register as a candidate with the Maryland State Board of Elections. And he is, mm-hmm. um, this would be his, his third uh, run for office. And I've had Andrew on a minor detail a few weeks ago. And then mm-hmm. there's David Trone, and that would be the big wrench um, in the fire. If he decides to dr- jump in based upon what John Delaney ultimately decides to do, would Trone do what he did again and, the sixth, what he as he did in the eighth in 2016, which is jump in and drop a buttload of money into the race, um, and yeah, you know, maybe you know overcome some of his weakness points by spending all that money on television and ads and um, you know, mailers and whatnot. And I think that if Trone would jump into that race, that's going to throw that that's going to throw the, the race into a loop. I really do. You can't right when you when you start talking millions compared to thousands, there is going to be you know an obvious difference there. Um, David Trone, I looked today. He um, officially closed his eighth district committee, and he Mm -hmm. uh, does not have one open for the sixth district right now. He did give a bunch of money um, to the county Democrats for their gala last month. um, Mm -hmm. He was there. Uh, he's been going around meeting people as far as I can tell. Um, Bethesda Beat had something about maybe an office space being opened up uh, for a campaign, uh, but he is not, he has not confirmed anything at this point. Well, he's, he's certainly going to make a splash in t- whatever he decides to do. Now, the rumor is, is that if he does not decide to run for the sixth district, depending on John Delaney's plans, he would jump into the county executive race here in Montgomery County. Right. And I've heard that as well. Um, I, I, I think he I didn't. He might have had an actual exploratory committee for county executive, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. did a poll a few months back, and he was polling for a couple different offices, I believe governor included. Um, but I don't know if he would – You know, that would be an interesting scenario if he decided to run for governor. Um, so it'll be be fun to, you know, politicos interested in what happens. Um, it'll be fun to watch how all of this unfolds. And I'd be remiss if I did not mention that Roger Mano is another Democratic candidate who is considering running in the 6th District. He has been out and about, um, I wouldn't say actively campaigning, but gathering all of his proverbial ducks to put in – uh, to play, and he has been meeting with folks out in Western Maryland and attending various events throughout the sixth district. And he is a state senator in Montgomery County, so there could be another possibility. You're going to have a you're going to have a really strong primary in the sixth. It could turn into what had happened um, last year in the eighth. That was quite a primary uh, for the yeah. on the Democratic side. 
Um, yeah. What are you hearing? And you were at you were at the Western Maryland Democratic Summit this year. You know, there were a lot of people, uh, a lot of potential candidates out there this year. Yeah. Are you hearing any other candidates aside from the um, from from the folks that we mentioned? Uh, well, Ami Hober, uh, you know, told the Baltimore Sun that she was considering running again for the Republican uh, nomination mm-hmm. in that in that district. So, um, you know, I think she was a first time candidate last time around. So she'll mm-hmm. have, uh, and and she seemed very well organized um, last oh, time yeah. around. She had a you know a very strong uh, local office and you know a, a huge number of people coming in and volunteering, working for her every day. So she would have the benefit, uh, you know, a second time around of, of having that background already set up. Yeah, she would certainly be a formidable candidate. Now, I've also talked to a guy by the name of Adam McKeon in Montgomery County, um, very pro-Trump, um, sort of the, the Corey Stewart um, side of the Republican Party. Um, you could almost frame it in the context of a Ed Gillespie versus Corey Stewart race that just occurred down in Virginia. Um, Adam McKee, mm-hmm. who has um, no campaign formation, first-time candidate, just a guy that lives in Boyd's. Um, he's been all over Twitter basically questioning if Ami Hober is a true Trumpian supporter. And as we know, the district doesn't – it, one half of the district supports Trump and the other one vehemently opposes him. So it's right. it's, it's a very tough balancing act in the 6th District. Um, and, of course, a majority of the population of the 6th is located in Montgomery County. So it's, it's mm-hmm. going to be tough. And um, I, I don't unless, – unless it's redistrict – I think it's going to be tough for any Republican to win that seat. Otherwise, you would see like Michael Huff jumping into this race or candidates mm-hmm. like Neil Parrott. And so the other big story is that Michael Huff has apparently taken a job with his old boss um, and has is now working for uh, Congressman Alex Mooney from West Virginia's 2nd District. Did you hear about that? Yeah. 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 And, you know, he's been working in D.C. in various capacities. Um since I've been on the beat. Um, so I guess that seems like a fairly logical move mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. Well, my understanding too, is that the, uh, uh, Michael Huff's wife is, could possibly be interested in a district four state delegate run. Oh, uh, you know, Joey Lynn Huff has been very active on the Central Committee, and, um, you know, she was a delegate for Donald Trump to the RNC. She was an early supporter of Donald Trump. Um, the 4th District, you know, in, in the county is where you're going to find your Donald Trump supporters. So um, that might be a logical a logical step for her. Yeah, that's and it, it, wouldn't, it would now be the second husband and wife team. In Frederick County. Yeah, um, yeah. Family <laughs> so, politics is what Frederick is all about. <laughs> family politics, certainly. And, yeah. you know, you have, the old, you have the old guard and the young family versus, you know, the new um, firebrand conservatives and the, the Huff side. So um, that should be interesting. Now, have you heard of – what about some of the state races that are coming up? Have you heard who might be in, who's not running? Um, what's happening on that front? Uh, well, there's a long list of people interested, uh, you know, in the Democratic uh, nomination for governor, as you know. Um, I think that's 
probably what's going to predominate our airwaves <laughs> for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, Governor Hogan seems to be uh, well underway with his campaign, um, definitely making those moves this summer, um, going out to the various parades and whatnot. So I think, you know, in the short term, we're going to see a lot more Democrats officially, you know, announcing their campaigns for governor, even though they've all been kind of working in that direction for a while. Right. Um, on this, uh, this, as part of the state delegation, have you heard um, of any new candidates who are considering running? Um, I, I know Jesse Pippi is, I believe he's going to launch a bid for state delegate in district four. I think that's right. I, I, I think he lives in four. Yeah. He had um, put something out on his Facebook about that. He of course is, um, you know, a member of the Frederick County liquor board right now. He was appointed by governor Hogan. Um, and uh, he had written on Facebook that he was exploring that. Mm, and then okay. um, he's got a few others. I'm trying to think off the top of my head right now. Um, uh Danny Farrar of Frederick was originally um, going to look at running for delegate. Um, right. He's since said that he is going to run for county council at large instead. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's been building up a campaign apparatus for the last little while. Um, yeah. Greg, or um, Mr. Giangrande uh, in Frederick, I always want to trip up and say Greg Gianforti, which he definitely would not want. Uh, no, no, because we don't want him body slamming you at any time. Yeah. So. so Craig <laughs> Giangrande of Frederick, um, you know, he is a businessman. He is looking to run for the third district as a Republican. Um, Matt Mossberg is looking to run um, also for the third district as a Republican. That is going to be, um, you know, a really exciting race. The state Republican Party is poised to pump a bunch of money into that race. I don't think we'll see that money, you know. Um, He also, you know, has has said that he is going uh, to seek that office. Um, He has not officially filed or kicked off a campaign. So, um, but, you know, he said he's interested, so I'm absolutely following it. <laughs> Boy, that would – that's that, going to be I an – that, You know, that that primary is going to be very interesting. And then after that primary is when you're really, I think, going to start seeing the state party involvement because um, sure. the state party really wants to flip that district. I'm sure they do. And I think that's that's on the list of to, – to flip um, is Ron Young beatable. Um, well, you know, he definitely eked, eked by um, last time around. So that is one of the reasons that the uh, state Republican Party has said that they specifically want to target this district. They have a, it's called the Drive for Five. And basically, they looked at legislative districts that were carried by Larry Hogan, where um, the Democrats who currently hold the positions won by a small margin. And so Frederick uh, District 4 was at the top of that list, or District 3 was at the top of that list. So there's there's a race coming up in Frederick City the um, for for the town race and or the city race I should say for the automatic races. What have you heard about that? Who's running? Who's in and out? And uh, running for mayor and for alderman? Sure. So our uh, I have to confess that I have not been following the city races that closely. Um, they really kind of got up in earnest while I was in Annapolis. So our city reporter, uh, Mallory Panuska is following that. Um, 
Okay. And I think at this, I think at this point there are primaries in, in all of the races. So um, wow. we recently asked our uh, readers to send in questions uh, for candidate questionnaires, and the candidates are filling those out, and we're going to have those in the newspaper very soon. Okay, yeah, I know that's coming up. I think the primary is in September, uh, if, yes, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they leave very little time between their primary and their general. So, yes, the primary is in September. Okay. And on the county council level, you have the big controversy this past year was, of course, Bud Otis switched to becoming an independent from a Republican, and that has set off a nuclear warfare between Bud Otis and the Republicans. And as I reported back last month that um, Councilman Council President Otis attended the Our Revolution group, and that sparked a little bit of controversy. Um, But he's meeting with a different constituency now. He's talking to different people now that he's an independent, and I think he's grown frustrated with the county, the the stymied progress um, with with Republicans on the council, and he's softened now sided with some of the Democrats. Is am I right in that um, analysis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the county council, the way it stands right now, there are a lot of four to three votes, and you know there are three Democrats, three Republicans, and Bud Otis who finds himself on that um, you know four side of things with the Democrats quite often. Um, you know, he says that uh, he says when it comes to those votes, they are nonpartisan things that they are just having to deal with the government of the county and keeping things moving and um, keeping things going forward. Um, you know, at meetings, um, both Billy Shreve and Bud Otis have said, you know, elections have consequences because they obviously feel very differently um, about the consequences of the last election. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the county council in in Frederick, it's 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 definitely a, a a lot is happening and a lot of a lot of controversy. What's do you ever have the opportunity, Danielle, to cover some of the school board um, happenings? I don't, um, so I just kind of hear them on the periphery. <laughs> but um, it, you know, I talk with our school board reporters, so I might be able to field the question. I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, no, I was just interested. I I know that they they have an upcoming election now. Does um, I think so, um, unless they stagger their elections. I know in Montgomery County, it's every two years. I think um, I'm while well, I'm googling right now. I do think it is uh, staggered <laughs> to to an extent. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's half and half. Okay, and I wanted to mention um, one thing that you had retweeted on your page that. Um, Phil Dacey has said that he is not running again um, for for Frederick City Alderman, and he is mm-hmm. uh, exploring another, I think, a run for county council. Yeah, so he, he does have um, a campaign finance committee open at the state level the last time that I checked, and so you would need that um, open to run either for a county race or for a legislative race. Um, when you create those campaign finance committees, you don't have to say what what um, office you're running for. So um, that's his, his status at this point. So one thing that you had retweeted uh, last week was that uh, Governor Hogan's cabinet secretaries, they're getting lighter paychecks as confirmation spat continues. And that affects Frederick County's own uh, Wendy Peters. Let's talk about that. What's the story behind that, Danielle? 
Yeah, that's a very long-running issue. So um, at at the near beginning of the General Assembly session, I couldn't tell you exactly what day, um, uh, Wendy Peters, who was tapped to take over as uh, the Maryland Secretary of Planning um, after uh, her boss left for a different position in the the state government, um, had her confirmation hearing and immediately in the confirmation hearing, you know, was met by a series of questions about the government, um, about the way that the office is running uh, under her leadership and, both from a policy perspective and from, I guess, just like a workplace wellness perspective. Um, And it kind of became clear that she was going to have a long road to confirmation. Um, Ultimately, it ended up that the Senate Executive Nominations Committee voted against her nomination. And um, on that same night, the governor had sent a letter down to the uh, committee chairman's desk in the Senate chamber and said that he was withdrawing Wendy Peters' name for, for consideration. Um, at that time, that was just kind of widely believed so that, she, you know, she didn't, um, so there wasn't a debate on on the Senate floor, of, you know, about her mm-hmm. bona fides or her resume or, you know, her management style just to kind of move on. Um, but as it turned out that, um, you know, the governor put uh, Ms. Peters back in that same position and renominated her as a recess appointment, um, I guess seeing the writing on the wall, some Senate Democrats felt that that might happen, so they had written language into the state budget saying um, that originally at that time, um, anybody in the position of Ms. Peters would not be able to um, be paid in the 2018 fiscal year. In the end, um, a second cabinet secretary, Dennis Schrader, the health secretary, ended up in the same position where um, he was withdrawn before action of the full Senate. And... Um, was reappointed as a recess appointment. So he falls into that same budget language that would restrict his pay in the fiscal 2018 year. Mm -hmm. So this past week, the first paychecks came, um, which deducted two days pay from each of their paychecks uh, because only two days fell in the, in the 2018 fiscal year so far. So right now it's kind of a question, I guess, for the courts. And it's a question of, you know, who is going to file something in court? Who or I'm I'm sure that that will come down, and I I don't think that it's going to uh, be favorable, uh, for, especially given the uh, the attorney general uh, who actually I believe issued an opinion that was um, opposing governor's um, appointment of those two individuals um, to to be remain on his staff. So, um, just briefly, I want to switch directions, and we're we often talk about journalism and that's a a major issue. Um, The journalism of the journalism in the national press. And so I want to learn a little bit more about your take on where we are as uh, a a country um, and how we read news, how we digest it, how we use it. And we've, we hear this term a lot, fake news and, everybody seems to have a different definition of what fake news is. I think my definition mm-hmm. of fake news would be that news that is just patently false um, mm-hmm. that, or that is promulgated as something that is true, but it's not, or it's poorly sourced or it's just not true. And, you know, we, it's the, the president of the United States has been pushing this narrative as well. 
um, that the the fake news is uh, clearly opposed to him, that they're spreading false stories and misinformation. However, my opinion is is that this has been um, the pinnacle of news coverage that uh, with with this election, I've seen some of the very best investigative reporting from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and um, even our local newspapers, the Frederick News Post and the Herald Mail. So I, I think that journalism in our country is booming at this time. Um, mm-hmm. So, Danielle, when you when you go through the motions of putting together a story, could you talk about the process of that? Where from how you start and to to into where you finish and all that is involved in between of gathering the facts, talking to your sources, and making those phone calls to get people on the record. How does all that work? People are interested in learning <laughs> what it's like to be a journalist. Would you mind talking about that? Hmm. Um. No, I don't mind. Um, I, w- I guess I would just say that it's different for every story. So, you know, at the at the beginning of a week, I kind of know what's on the various schedules. You know, I know if I've got a court case to cover this day or a hearing to cover that day. And, um, you know, depending on the level of interest or whether or not, you know, there's public comment period, I might decide to write a preview story, letting people know that it's happening. Um, but, you know, I usually have some idea of what I'm going to be up against so to speak at the beginning of a week um and then frankly it just changes day to day at that point so um you know last week i had a story i had a list of you know probably um seven or eight stories that i wanted to write and um you know it was just one of those weeks where i caught breaking news after breaking news after breaking news and so you know, every day it seemed like I started on something and had to kind of put it back on the back burner, even if I didn't want to, and start on something else. Um, but, you know, there's a, a point in, in the day where I have to decide on one thing or two things and just kind of focus on getting those out the door. So um, I like to usually have a good idea of, of what I'm getting in the next day's newspaper by around noon. Um, and then it is just a matter of calling people um, you know, asking kind of preliminary questions, um, getting documents. Uh, a lot of times it's the actual act of writing where I realize I have additional questions. Um, so I'll try to call people later in that case um, and, you know, try to make that last round of phone calls by 4 o'clock um, to get answers to those questions and then um, spend a lot of time writing. I, I work – pretty long hours um, at this point in time. I, you know, in all technicality, I cover the, the county, state, and federal governments. Um, so, you know, that's more than about two dozen officials that I'm trying to keep up with, um, you know, three different, you know, billion-dollar budgets. Um, so there's uh, a, lot of, a lot of stories to be had. Um, I have, like, a running list on my computer of things that I want to write um, and just try to get around to as many of those as I can when I can. Yeah. And when you submit a story for publication, do you have an editor who takes a look at your work to make sure that everything's in line? So, um, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, we have been uh, in uh, 
process at the Frederick News Post we were recently bought, and so we've had a change of leadership. Um, we do have a, a new executive editor starting on Monday, um, but we do have an editing process in place, um, and uh, usually the stories get two reads um, by editors. Oh, okay. One so is kind of more, might... more functional copy editing. Um, the other one is where questions of content generally come up. Okay. Okay. And when you put together a story, um, you you probably have developed a long list of sources who talk to you on deep background, who talk to you on, you know, who's willing to be sourced. But I know that sometimes a journalist's toughest feat in putting together a story is having people actually go on the record with them. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people don't want to go on the record. So sometimes that makes it difficult. And a lot of times as a blogger, people give me and disseminate information to me, hoping that I, I cover it. And, you know, I always try to follow up with questions, emails, and a lot of times people just don't want to give me their name or they'll send me Mm -hmm. information anonymously. I'm sure that happens to you frequently. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's a real issue to too. deal with. You know, I've dealt with, um, you know, off the record stuff in, in the past, you know, where it really was a matter of um, somebody's livelihood, you know, not just in the sense like, oh, I'm afraid I'll get fired, but, you know, mm-hmm. um, like losing, losing licensure, like we'll never be able to work in my field again. Um, or, you know, real concerns about fear and safety. I was, you know, a courts reporter. Um, yeah. So it really all just kind of depends on, on who it's coming from and what relationship you have. Um, I generally, you know, when it comes to politics, don't do a lot of, of uh, reporting off the record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most so, of the time, it's fairly transparent what's going on anyhow. Let's talk about here, – here's what politicians, I think, need to uh, – politicians and – and journalists have to have an established set of ground rules. So let's talk about some of this terminology we often hear. When when somebody says, okay, Daniel, I need to talk to you, and they say, but I need to talk to you off the record, what does that mean? So, um, yeah, so to most journalists, the term off the record means, you know, truly off the record, can't be written down, not for publication, um, not for dissemination beyond your ears. So somebody says, you know, oh, I want to tell you this thing off the record. Uh, 99% of the time in my experience, they actually mean on background, which is I want to tell you this thing and I want you to print it in the newspaper, but I don't want my name attached to it. That's what people <laughs> right. generally mean when they say off the record. Yeah. Well, that's and that's hard to do because then you have to get yeah. <laughs> some sort of on the record statement and you have to attribute it. Um, and so what is the difference between off the record and deep background for people who are unfamiliar with those journalistic terms? Yeah. So uh, off the record, and, um, on background, I kind of just explained deep background is just, um, a deeper, really kind of a deeper level of, of background. So it really has more to do with, um, your act of reporting, I would say, than actually your act of um, 
disseminating information. So if something's on deep background, um, generally the person who knows it is among like a very small group of people who would know that information. So you have to just be much more careful in the way that you pursue the ultimate information that you're looking for. Right. Um, And basically I always tell people that I'm communicating with that unless you explicitly tell me that it's off the record, then whatever you tell me, I'm going to use. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I, and I think people who know me that I've established my sources, they, they know when to say those things, you know, the, the code word, Hey, Ryan, this is off the record. I want to talk to you about this. You know, I don't print that. I won't do that. And that's, that's a trust, a mutual level of trust that you have to establish with people. Um, and one thing that I've learned is to never burn your sources because if you do, they won't talk to you again. Um, right. And, and I think that's an important function of journalism is developing those relationships with people who will call you up at any time of the day and say, Hey, I got this story for you. I want to tell you about it. Um, and then you listen and then you figure out where the story is, what information that you need to gather, who you can talk to. Um, but a lot of times people will call me and then I will um, relay or print that information in a story and they'll call me back or email me and say, Hey, I never gave you permission to write that, but I'm, you know, you have to tell me what I can and can't do. And I have to, we have to establish a set of ground rules. Um, Is that correct, Mm -hmm. Danielle? When you're doing journalism? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so typically, you know, I expect if somebody wants something to, to stay off the record that they're going to ask for it before they start talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't kind of – it's a funny thing. Once words come out of our mouths, we, we recognize whether or not we should have said them, right? So somebody will be, you know, talking to you, and then all of a sudden they'll realize, ooh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Make that off the record. Um, but I think most people who, who speak with me feel comfortable speaking with me off the record, um, but also mm-hmm. know that they need to say that right at the very beginning. Otherwise, um, you know, it's fair that's game. Just the way it breaks. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair game. And, you know, you go through a process, you learn, you learn what information is relevant to the story and, and, you know, you find, you, you try to extrapolate the best quote um, mm-hmm. that makes the most sense in the context of the story. So, but let me ask you this question in your career. Um, you, you've probably found people who have disagreed with your, your, your story, um, you know, the facts, and then suddenly you're being accused of bias or preferential treatment. Have you ever come across that? Uh, yeah. And I mean, a lot of times, obviously those, those concerns come up in the most controversial stories, the most fraught issues, um, and a lot of times what I find is actually both sides will reach out to me and tell me I gave too much space to the other side. And that's when I think I probably found a good middle ground between what they both had to say. Right. Um, but, you know, working at the newspaper, um, you know, I'm able to pass people on to editors or suggest that they write a letter to the editor if they want to more fully flesh out, you know, their point of view. Um, and usually things are, are pretty amicably, amicably resolved. Right, right. Um, so what's what's happening? I know at the Frederick News Post that there's been some changes there. So what's the what's the business model now, and who's in charge? 
<laughs> well, I mean, we kept our publisher, um, Jordy Wilson, through the uh, change in ownership, and he has been around. Um, and uh, we have a new executive editor starting on Monday. I think they're going to make an announcement about that in the paper um, on Tuesday. So, mm-hmm. um, so far, you know, the guts of the newsroom have stayed um close to the same we did lose some you know really valuable people but um you know the reporting core has stayed the same we've been adding new reporters and we're all just coming in and working every day um you know just starting to learn our way under the new ownership right now you know figuring out how to fill out our time cards and our uh you know expense (laughs) reports but um for the most part i'd say we're we're operating as usual Mm -hmm. let me ask you this question in your Tenure at the Frederick News Post, what is one of the most dynamic stories or memorable stories that you've had the opportunity to cover? Um, hmm. uh, well, I, I would actually say it's actually something recent, um, which is the story of Santa Juara. Um, mm-hmm. She is a woman from Frederick, a mom. Um, she is a U.S. citizen um, who went home to visit her country, um, her home country, the Gambia, um, during a time of really a, uh, an incredible presidential election in that country. And um, essentially she was on the outskirts of a protest and was arrested, um, was jailed, was held in an awful, awful prison with awful conditions. Um, and it was just really interesting to um, you know, hear from her family and hear the official readouts um, from the U.S. government. I was in regular contact with the U.S. State Department, um, so I had to learn, you know, a whole different part of the federal government and how to reach people and how to get comments. Um, you know, the former governor, Bill Richardson, was deeply involved in her case. Um, he also was involved in the Otto Warmbier case. Um, and so just kind of learning about, like, kind of foreign diplomacy um, through the eyes of this Frederick family that just wanted their mom to come home. I think that was um, one of the most interesting stories that I wrote, uh, calling the United Nations and calling all of these organizations that I never necessarily thought that I would be uh, reaching out to for a local story. Wow. Yeah, there's, you know, there's ever, (laughs) there's, there's so much quality journalism these days, especially happening at the local level. And we, I'm a frequent Twitter user, so I follow some preeminent journalists in the country. And I got to tell you, I have a few favorites. And when I, what I mean by favorite journalism, I I like a journalist that is open, that's transparent, um, that uses Mm -hmm. all available communication um, mediums to get their message out to yeah. Get the story out. And so, so I, re- I really en- he's he's not afraid of tweeting what he's working on, which is something that's like a really new concept just to really throw Who it out the there person? to your competitors. David Farenthold with the oh. Washington Post. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Bob Costa, he, is he's another, just like, this is what I'm working on. Exactly. Yeah. They're both just like, this is what I'm working on. You know, help me find information. That's a very new approach to um, journalism. I think it's I think it's a unique approach, and I think that the, they're almost crowdsourcing that, and it's it's important yeah. that and and it's I have my my all time favorite journalists, um, you know, we just mentioned him, I, yeah, Fahrenheit, um, Costa. I love Maggie Haberman from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She is 
dynamic. She is just super on her her coverage. Um, Philip Rucker from the Washington Post is another um, one of my favorites, um, and yeah, I have a few others. But you know, some of the prolific tweeters out there. You know, Twitter's just a, a, a really interesting outlet for for journalists. It's quick information. It's condensed, and there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot that people can get out that way. In fact, I, I see you using Twitter frequently. And does the newspaper, do they encourage you to use these social media outlets to, um, to, to broadcast some of your news? Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm on like a little bit of a Twitter hiatus, <laughs> to be honest oh. with you. Um, I use it, you know, I use it obviously a lot in the event of breaking news. And I use it a lot during the general assembly session. Um, mm-hmm. I take my vacation outside of the general assembly and before the election year. So I've been kind of on some long weekends this summer. So I haven't been as active as I usually am, but mm-hmm. you know, I find it incredibly helpful and um, you know, you can really, especially, you know, the press corps in Annapolis and the uh, politicians in Annapolis really have embraced the, you know, the hashtagging trend. So you can really follow a hashtag and get a real good feel for what's going on um, in certain areas, you know, on both sides of the political spectrum just by doing mm-hmm. that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all about the Twitter. I frankly, I read it way, way more often than I tweet. Um, but yeah. I, I'll, I'm going to start tweeting again. <laughs> okay. So Danielle, in the state of Maryland, if people want to follow political news, what's a good hashtag to input? Yeah, so I mean, definitely a hashtag MD politics, um, mm-hmm. hashtag MD spend. Uh, mm-hmm. When we get closer to election, you're definitely going to want hashtag MD06, hashtag MD08. Um, sometimes people leave the zeros out, so MD6, MD8. Um, mm-hmm. those, those are some good ones. You have okay. hashtags, right, or people. Yeah, hashtags. Um, of course, okay, you are okay. one of you are one of those individuals that I definitely encourage people um, in Western Maryland, Frederick, and um, in Central Maryland, elsewhere, Montgomery County, to definitely follow on Twitter and your journalism. And um, I there's there's a few other um, journalists. I I I follow Mike Dresser from the Baltimore Sun frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, Lou Peck, John Fritzy. Um, Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, um, CJ Loveless from up in Hagerstown, um, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a reporter that I follow at the Cumberland Times News. But uh, there's a lot of good journalism that's happening in Western Maryland, and I hope people are paying yeah. attention. I hope people are following along. This election coming up is going to be, you know, look, we always we are. It feels like we are just we just finished an election, but we're going into the summertime. I, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be coming up in a year here soon for this presidential election. So, yeah. but journalism is, you know, being a journalist, being a reporter, um, if I could do it full time, uh, like you do, um, it would make me so happy. Not that I don't love my day <laughs> job um, because I get to work with veterans and their families um, every, every day. And that, really makes me happy because I know I'm making a difference, but um, I got to tell you, there's a thrill in, in blogging. There's a, every time I do it, um, I'm just in the zone and um, and I'm, I'm self-taught. I'm nowhere near where you are in your career, but nonetheless, it's something that I strive to do in my blog is get out the facts. Um, I used to do more of opinion, but here's what I found out about that. 
is people don't care really what I have to say about local politics. I mean, it, yeah, no one's really following what – they don't really care that I have an opinion about this race or that race or this candidate or that one. But people, I think, seriously just yearn for the facts. They want people mm-hmm. to – they want you to tell the story um, and forget all the fluff. And just go right into the facts, Danielle. And that's what you mm-hmm. do really well. You you are uh, a very talented person, and I encourage people to check you out, to read your stories. And um, I know we went a little bit over time, but I really appreciate you coming on tonight. It means a lot, oh. and uh, this is this was a great discussion. Yeah, thank you. We've had these discussions, you know, offline, so it was nice to come yeah. on and and do it online. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will um, I want to wrap up the show, but Danielle, thank you again for making some time for, for us, and uh, keep going. Full speed ahead. Yeah, um, thank I'll you. Look forward, you too. I'll look forward to, to reading and communicating with you, so I hope you have a great week. Thanks. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. Right. Okay. Danielle Gaines from the Frederick News Post. Um, I, I encourage you to, to follow her. Um, she is an excellent journalist, great writer. Um, on Twitter, you can follow her at Danielle E. Gaines. And, of course, don't forget to check out the Frederick News Post website um, at fredericknewspost.com. So with that, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show tonight. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I know it's an hour and a half, but a lot of great content. I wish you all the best. Stay cool. Use sunscreen. And have a great week. Enjoy.